Scubub Test is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 156 recorded live April 11th, 2013. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson from the west side of Michigan, where it is getting a little bit more sunny. Before we get started in the show, I'd like to welcome my co-host for this week. We have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Glad to be here and glad to see you from last week. Excellent. And we also have, from the east side of the state, at least this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm good. Hopefully you guys can hear me. I don't have everything I need in my computer, but I'm going to try. We we can just pick you up. It's just a, a little quiet, but I think everybody can can hear you. I've got mine turned up a little bit. Oh, so, sorry, everybody, that we didn't do a show last week. I was trying to figure out a way to do it, and I still haven't perfected that two places and once, two places at once technique. I get that get that going, and I'm I'm all golden. But uh, my son and daughter were at the Bend of the River Conservation Club, and they were taking a hunter safety course. So we did that Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, 16 hours in, in class, and they learned uh, a little bit more about the safe handling of firearms. Well, family comes first, and I, at this day and age, I don't think you can uh, do anything better than teach guns and rifles and items that I think everybody ought to be able to use. Safety. I agree, and I was actually surprised by the class. I had never taken the hunter safety class. I was kind of grandfathered in before it was required, but since they were taking it, I took it. There was a lot of good knowledge in that class. In fact, I think it should be mandatory whether you're going to go hunting or not, whether you plan on handling a gun or not, because you could tell in the class that there was a variety of people who were who were taking it. Uh, in fact, there were two or three who I would say would fall in the not-so-gun-friendly camp who were in the class. And I think the class actually opened their eyes a little bit to more what it what it involves because uh, they, they were interested in archery. For some reason, they were taking something with archery. And a lot of clubs, whether it's, it's uh, shooting or bow and arrow, require that you go through the hunter safety course, and they just don't offer it for both, so you get both. And in the beginning of the class, they were quite vocal about how they weren't too fond of the firearms. But at the end, uh, they they were having quite a bit of fun. They were getting some shots in. But the kids really had a blast. Uh, my daughter was on the fence uh, a year ago when we originally talked about she wanted to do it. And now she's gotten older and other things are more exciting than going with dad and her brother to the conservation club, but uh, she she really enjoyed it, and she's already making plans for this uh, coming season. They do have some very nice programs out there in archery and items that are of interest and usefulness to uh, kids of all ages. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, nice facilities. I'd been out there, well, it's probably been a few years since I'd been out there, five or six years, just uh, coincidentally before I started scuba diving, 
and uh, it they had even improved it since then. They had uh, everything had been painted and freshly graveled parking lot and fancy new gates and a very nice facility. Uh, and then they had some knowledgeable instructors, which I, I thought they did a, a very well, a very good job on on the the training. So I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have uh, Paul and Brent and uh, Dive Mistress. We also have a diver up from Holland, Michigan in the chat room. Thanks. If you're not listening or getting in the chat room, you need to try at least once. It's a blast. I think they actually have more fun in the chat room than we do on the show. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump right on into the news. We have a full news week considering that we missed last week. So we'll we'll move this along, but there's... uh, Plenty to talk about. First one up is actually out of New Zealand, right there in Dive Mistress's neck of the woods. We have a stingray stabs a scuba diver. And my internet's slow, so you're going to hear me grumbling a lot tonight. Um, this one's out of uh, Gisborne. A fireman, Tim Lister, was stabbed in the stomach by stingray. Uh, he was diving uh, for crayfish near the entrance of the harbor. The 36-year-old was scuba diving with a mate about 2 p.m. when he spotted a crayfish in the hole uh, down about 18 meters, or I would say would well, that be about 50-some feet for us in the U.S. He says, I grabbed one of them, put it in my catch bag. When I went to grab the second one, I noticed the water had suddenly got quite murky. Initially, I thought it was me. I didn't see the stingray at all. It just came out of the blue. The uh, raised barb stabbed him right through his webbed belt and six millimeters of web wetsuit he was wearing. Fortunately, the barb went an angle upwards instead of straight in. The entry wound was next to his belly button. I never saw the ray at any stage. It must have been a big one. The barb penetrated five centimeters into him. I surfaced pretty quickly and signaled for a boat to come over. At that stage, I didn't realize the severity of it. It was excruciating pain when I got hit, but it eased after a while. Back on shore, they took him to the doctor's where he had surgery. Well, well I think they just called the doctor's office surgery, where a one-centimeter-wide puncture wound was cleaned and dressed. I was also taken to the hospital where I had x-rays and ultrasound to make sure that there were no stingray barbs left. Uh, the hospital put me on antibiotics to guard against the risk of infection. So we, we hear about that. What is it? Probably about once a year we hear about somebody running into a uh, stingray. Or the stingray running into him. Yeah. Which a two-inch hole by that would hurt. That's one of about five centimeters, I think he said. So I, I wouldn't care for a two-inch hole in my belly from a, a barb that's possibly uh, infectionable. Yeah. It's, well, and you just think of all the, I mean, it's, as they get bigger, it seems that the barbs go deeper, or it would, as it would make sense. And yeah, depending on where it goes, that could not turn out quite as well. Well, I mean, that was a, an occasion they had down there before. I think Steve, remember when he yep. stepped on and got it in his gut? Yeah, Steve Irwin, uh, yeah, he had one that went right into his sternum and heart. Next up, we have, uh, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I think we talked about it. Maybe it's, everything's blurring together now. This was the University of Toledo scuba divers. Uh, they actually ended up breaking the world record. They spent nearly eight days submerged in a 330-gallon tank. The club bo- broke the world record for the longest continuous dive in an enclosed environment. A group of 25 divers started the challenge on April 1st at 6.20 a.m. and ended at 3.30 a.m. on April 9th. The previous world record was six days and 21 hours. That is... I would like to know a little bit more. I've looked at three or four articles on this, and they ha- that has to be tag team, wouldn't you say? 
It's a relay, yeah. It's a relay, okay. They basically had a continuous dive. That's my understanding. Now, I, I could be all wet. So what they must do is they, it's like they have one get in the water, and as soon as he's all the way submerged, and the other previous diver can get out. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to diminish what they're doing, but if it's not one person the whole time, it doesn't seem like it would be that tough, other than logistics. Well, it's still one of those items that, you know, how hard it is just to put on a simple daytime tank for three hours, to do that 24 hours a day. Yeah, and if so you just look at 25 divers and figure it out, well, let's say I'll do one hour a day, well, that's still, you know, are you going to get the same shift every day? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still, there's some logistics there. You have to have plenty of tanks. Of course, when you're, what, four feet underwater, you're probably going to get, you know, two hours out of a tank. Well, least. yeah, and I, I can't imagine that they wouldn't have a you know you back up. With, uh, most pools have an air air compressor for cleaning it up, so you'd be able to have with a filter, you know, uh, a good supply of air, even if your tank, mm-hmm. you know, didn't have some tanks. We logistically did it with the tanks. You still have plenty of time to to recharge them and what have you. Yeah, well, heck, Mac, you probably got enough tanks. We could. Uh do that and still run to the dive shop to get them refilled. Well, not anymore, but collectively, I think everybody in our group is enough that we can do pretty good. <laughs> the thing is, this is one of those I'm really not even interested in, in doing. We've talked about the podcasting underwater. Maybe we'll have to have to do that one. Well, you know, if you could have a chamber down there, a dry hab, uh-huh. then you can actually have the podcast. Yeah. And you'd have a place you can get up, get your ears cling a little bit. You could still be, you know, semi-submerged. Mm-hmm. You'd have an air chamber. Just purge it, have a good air supply to that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we could do something like that. Okay. And then we, we're still in the follow-up section of the show. This next one is a vessel that we had talked about, the Russian ship. Uh, Lebov or Lova had been drifting in the North Atlantic for over a month after breaking free from its towing line as it was pulled from Canada to a scrapyard in the Dominican Republic. The abandoned ship, now overrun with rats, was last located at 1,300 nautical miles off the Irish coast, but exact whereabouts aren't known. Oh, wait, this is the same article or a similar article. I'm yeah, just looking at the date. Least, I have, that, uh, this at least had a really nice picture. Yeah, th- this one has a better picture. <laughs> And I, and I look at the picture, and I'm thinking, why are they getting rid of it? Because that doesn't look too bad of a vessel, does it? No, it doesn't. Not really. It must be thieving. Uh-huh. They had a time about weeks ago. Guy helped the rats that are left. I think the nicest part about this one here is it actually shows you photos, the before photos. So you got a chance to look at what it's like inside. Didn't help that. Yeah, some of the older photos, uh, it doesn't look quite as fancy, does it? Yeah, a lot of pictures. Now, when you get to back in, Devin, you start looking at a little bit of wear and tear on it. It's uh, getting need a good bit of maintenance, lots of rust and stuff on the half end. Yeah. Well, it takes, I mean, a, a vessel like that has to have a huge maintenance bill. Oh, big so if, time. So if you don't have a, a planned use for the vessel uh, that's bringing you in money, you at some point have to... Cut your losses.
Yeah, yeah, you go down and a little bit farther, and you can see that it is. It was probably about due for uh, a little bit of maintenance. Okay, and since we're on uh, some great pictures, we had an article by a photographer, Adventures in Underwater Photography During or Diving the Coral Reefs of Belize. And we apologize for those in the chat room, some more saying that they, the audio is fading a little bit, and that's just the probably result of my Internet connection. But uh, uh, So this uh, photographer, who he writes in the Baltimore Sun, uh, adventures in underwater photography, dive in the coral reefs of Belize. Uh, he's, he's talking about a scuba trip he did to Belize. Sound like the perfect opportunity to try his hand at photography. Uh, being his first time, he he was not surprised he didn't hit a home run. Says he brought back some murky video, handful of lessons learned for other beginners looking to jump in and shoot. So he he does provide some tap some tips. He said uh, first one to keep your expectations realistic. So there's a reason why photographers and videographers are hired by National Geographic to film fish for a living. Uh, tip two is check your camera specs and necessary needs. He said he didn't do enough research in the front end to know what underwater case uh, for his GoPro would be used. Just because you can do underwater photography without killing it doesn't mean it'll actually look good. Uh, he said tip three was think about your lighting situation. He said even in uh, Waters of Belize, it got a little dark below 50 feet. He said, don't underestimate video. He said he wished he had taken more video while underwater. He spent less time trying to capture stills. And he said, head to shallow water. The camera you're planning to use is out for a spin for the day. If you're going to throw away images or your friends at local YMCA, you get a feel for how to use a camera. So, uh, good article. Take a look at it. I think Bob learned a lot when he was out shooting with his new uh, camera rig. And I think the big item she talked about is the lighting is a significant part. And I think the idea of especially digital, you can always capture frames and have a lot of access to different shots you might normally not gotten. Uh, we have Avatar 2. We've talked about this one on and off for a while. They said James Cameron is planning on using underwater motion capture. And uh, this is a, a quote. He says, we have kept a team of digital artists on from Avatar in order to test how we create performance capture underwater. We could simulate water and computer graphics, but we can't simulate the actor's experiences, so we're going to capture the performance in a tank. We want to take advantage of technology that people are putting out there to make the next two movies more engaging and visually tantalizing and wrap up the story arc for the two main characters. Uh, many are considering that since Cameron has such a love for the oceans, he's probably going to be going with one of the best portrayals of an underwater world we'll ever see. The amount of money that costs is amazing. So he made so much on that first movie. It's, it's kind of like Lucas when he did Star Wars. He's going to be able to do whatever he wants for the next Avatar. I wouldn't be surprised to find out he spent three or four hundred million on it. Well, that first one was awesome. Well, it was. I mean, he just, you know, a lot of times movies will do little mini increments better than movies before it, and he he doubled what everybody else had been do doing. Uh, 
And uh, this next one is some changes in DEMA. They have, uh, you can now at the next DEMA show catch emerging fashions. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm not quite sure. See, I'm gonna. I, I would really be going to enjoy the fashion. This is this is not the right Dima. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at that. Well, we'll see what what got me on this one. I think I was skunked. Is that uh, and and I won't throw him under the under the boat, so to speak. Uh, another diver teased this one, and I remember reading it, going, "Wow, you know, that's Dima's pretty desperate if they're going to do." Outfits, and now when I look and I see what DEMA stands for, it's Downtown uh, Iniquitous Main Street Association. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't even think that's, uh, yeah. So, just just pretend that we didn't cover that one. Well, we, you just put that in there, so many people paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Most people are they're just they're just listening on their way to work. It's background noise. That's why we I mean, insert the, you know, uh, the outfits, some of the outfits for your nightwear and things like that. So much as Yeah. And then this one's a press release from the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps, uh, and this is out of Honolulu, the Wounded Warrior Battalion West, a detachment Hawaiian submerged Marine for the scuba diving on March 17th. Families and friends showed up to support the event as a certified divers from the island divers and adaptive heroes guided the Marines to the scuba diving class for a day of fun under the water. Uh, the instructor said, this is my first group of Marines that I've had the opportunity to come out and work with. This really all started. We just used to dive in the first step in the rehabilitation pro- process for soldiers and civilians with spinal injuries. We saw a positive impact in doing this. The results were amazing because of this. I want to work with other services and share this tool. Um, Johns Hopkins is still doing many tests to answer whys and hows, but I believe this and many others do as well. We're trying to get as many wounded warriors certified in scuba diving as we can with no charge. All they have to do is show interest in the hobby, and the adaptive heroes will pay for 100% of the fees. Uh, When asked if he would encourage other wounded warriors to try scuba diving, he said, definitely it's fun and the benefits go beyond just the certification. You're helping your body and building back to the process, which has been proven to work. One day out there, went excellent, and I was to learn all things I can do in the water instead of hearing why I can't. It was a painless day with great results. So an excellent program. And then after they do that, if they want to head over to North Carolina, oh, come on, you can do the fishing tournament. They have a fishing tournament targeting lionfish and unwanted guests in coastal water. Uh, the tournament's going to be in Moorhead City this spring to reduce the number of destructive invasive species of fish that are hard to catch. First annual You Can't Beat em, Eat em Spear Tournament aims to educate the public about lionfish, a delicious but rarely eaten invasive species off North Carolina coast. Event coordinator Janelle Fleming said lionfish are native Pacific coast and have become unwanted guests of the coast in recent years. They have no known natural predators. They eat everything, and they reach sexual maturity very early. It's a problem. It's a problem for fishermen around here because these lionfish will eat juvenile grouper, juvenile fish that all the fishermen are trying to catch. A $500 prize will go to the person who catches the most lionfish. There are smaller $250 prize for the person who catches the longest lobster. And another $250 prize for various other edible fish. The tournament also encourages residents to eat local seafood. Lose you? What's that? Oh, everything got quiet all of a sudden. No, you, you didn't lose me. I was just thinking, you know what they need to do is, they, is somebody needs to uh, make it a commercial crop. And you could do like lionfish nuggets or... Yeah, I was reading some stuff on that. Like you said, they eat about everything. Yeah, they just kind of like vacuum. I can remember. Like big. 
in the old aquarium days, I had friends who had them, and they just, they were pigs. But they were kind of a novelty then. Yeah. Now, then, and that was probably the start of how they got going. Somebody didn't like them in their tank and were bored and pitched them in. I was reviewing some items, and they were talking about in many areas where the guys have actually been out there hunting with a little bit of zeal that uh, a year afterward, the number of predators have gone down tremendously. Therefore, it does indicate that a machine like that going out there hunting does minimize their impact, especially in certain areas. Yeah. I mean, I'd, it'd be nice to think that we could completely eliminate them, which is probably not practical, but no sense letting them just go wild. Now, this one uh, relates to an article we had a few weeks ago. This one's out of Hong Kong. They say, daring visitors to Ocean Park can dive into a huge tank and play with the fish, including sharks. Uh, for the opportunity, it costs them 1900 Hong Kong dollars for a three-hour program. And when you add in park admission, that works out to be 2180 Starting on April 20, every Saturday from 2 to 5 p.m., the park will hold its Grand Aquarium Scuba Diving Program and their 5.2 million liter tank with 5,000 fish. The program is the first of its kind in Hong Kong. And uh, they're practicing strict safety measures. Safety measures are good, especially yep. around shops. Yep. They're saying that during the diving session, each three-person group will be accompanied by two coaches, with one keeping a lookout while the other takes care of the guests. Must be they're trying to convince them that the sharks won't eat them. Program is limited six guests per tour, expected to last three hours. It includes a safety briefing, 30-minute dive session and up to 12 meters, and a behind-the-scenes of the ocean park's breeding. Let's see a second here. I, want, I need to Google and see how much is that really. $1,800. That is $231.93 U.S. That's fire pittance. Yeah. I mean, for the experience. I mean, they're not getting certified or anything like that. They're just going to play around in a big, giant fish tank. I'd, I'd be tempted. If I was in Hong Kong, I'd drive them nuts. Yeah, I was going to say, with what we've been hearing about the Asian uh, diving industry, all. I'd be concerned with their safety precautions. Well, I wonder if you could bring your own gear. They probably wouldn't let you. Oh, you mean your own bang? Well, like, you know, you bring your own regulator. Because that, that'd be what I'd worry about, the regulator mostly. Next up is uh, some, some submarine. Warwick students are preparing for a submarine speed record attempt. A group of University of Warwick students is, is intending to create a single-seat human-powered submarine to beat the current speed record. The submarine will be named the HPS Shakespeare. will compete in the European International Submarine Races in 2014 and will apparently uh, highlight the human-powered submarine class events calendar. Working with fellow competitors at Bath University, students have established a mutually beneficial partnership that allows them to learn from one another and manufacture a potentially competitive winning submarine. The Subaquatic Society of the University of Warwick has also offered the team advice on diving. They said the submarine will need to beat the speed of 7.03 knots or 8.09 miles per hour to win. There are multiple challenges that will face in design, manufacture, testing a submarine, as well as the organizational aspect, such as sponsorship and costing. They're attempting to break the record that was set by a Montreal team in the last race in 2012. Think they'll do it? Mm -hmm. I think somebody will do it. I don't know if it'll be them. Because, uh, I mean, my... My guess is it's human-powered. It's, it's, I bet it's a wet sub, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that takes 
a lot of it out of, you know, I don't say it's not going to be as much of a challenge, but it definitely reduces the engineering effort that's going to have to happen. I just Google that, take a look at the uh, submarines themselves, and it's a wonderful thing I just stumbled across. It has multiple pictures of different ones from different countries and universities, and they're outstanding. And, and all of them appear to be wet, and not all of them look like torpedoes. Some of them look like those um, motorcycle uh, encasements. You've seen the movies on them? Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about, where they're uh, like the ultra streamlined, more like a like a flying wedge almost. Right, and I'm looking at a couple of these that from this position they can stand more laid out depending on which one you wanted. Uh, the designs are outside; they're really neat to look at. My thought would be something more that was kind of like a like a recumbent bike, where you would be. Yep, there's a couple there. I was hoping I could find that, send you that link, but darn it, I can't find it. Uh, the other one. Well, then we have another scuba club who's pushing environmental concerns uh, through trips and events. Uh, let's see, what were they at? It's the Battalion Online Voice of Texas A&M since 1893. The scuba club is uh, going to do some diving, and the river is the Colmel River. They're, gonna, they're uh, doing an effort to do some their annual trash fest. Groups get together, clean the river, which is right next to the, God, be careful with this one, Schlitterbahn. It's a competition. Whoever bags the most trash wins a prize, which is anything from a bumper sticker to a paid cruise. It was my first trip with the A&M Club, and it was kind of a lot of fun. Now, how are they getting a cruise? We just don't have the right sponsors, Mac. We don't have any sponsors. <laughs> wow. But they're getting a cruise out of it. College kids don't need a cruise. I think you're getting places that are warmer. Have lots of beaches. A lot of people are invested in diving all year round, or at least for a larger period of time than we are. And I think that has a lot to do with how many people are available to participate. And what's in it for me as a sponsor? Yeah. Well, they said even the join a club, you don't have to be a diver. We do plenty of things that aren't scuba diving related. Uh, recently, we went to the Houston Aquarium. They said the group was really laid back. It's a strange opportunity for people interested in diving. We recently went diving on oil rigs in the Gulf. They create an artificial reef that's great for scuba diving. Well, excellent program. I'm glad that the, the schools are doing that and encouraging them. I, I have to say I'm a little jealous, but good for them. And uh, well, not all universities didn't have dive clubs to hear about, and I what? won't mention any local ones. Well, Andrews had had a dive club. That's why you don't hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't. We, we must have scared them off. Uh, a well, couple of them showed up to a few of our meetings. True. They actually had a fatality last year. And that's they're a little bit laying low on our publicity at the club out there. Oh, the 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 club did. Yes. Ooh. On one of the uh, school sponsored trips. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, always a dampener on something. Yeah, uh, liability aspects, whether it was their fault or not, they get the blame for. Well, how come you didn't take better care of your students? How come you didn't train them better? How come you know there's always somebody can be totally negative. To show you didn't do something when, in fact, it's not that at all. Oh, and this next one, for some reason, as much as I... Oh, here, here it comes. Maybe? No? Trying to do the X Factor? Yeah, the X Factor, which I have no idea what the X, X Factor is, other than I think it's a some sort of TV program. But a scuba diver rescued footage of the X Factor. They just started filming for the coming up season. 
they were using a kind of a remote-controlled helicopter, a drone, so to speak, to film, and it started to malfunction. The operator of the drone, instead of running it into the crowd, decided to run it into the water. Uh, they were able to, with a, uh, a net, the helicopter floated. They were able to get the uh, helicopter, but they did lose the camera. So they called up a, a diver, uh, asked him if he'd come out, and he said, oh, well, I'm kind of busy. I'll, I'll get out there tomorrow. And they said, well, whatever your current rate is, I'll double it. So he, he came out right away. Uh, it took him two dives. The first dive, he went down, and he said he was surprised that there was no visibility. And this is the, the Thames River, so I don't know why he'd be surprised that he couldn't see anything. The next one, he went down with a they, – they threw a line as a marker, and he went down, and he said he got lucky, and he went right on it. So they were able to get the footage. Well, that was a $20,000 camera system. Yeah, that, I mean, that's those aren't cheap. I, I bet he got a bonus. You said he bet he got what? A bonus. A bonus? I'd hope so. Yeah, I would too. Never <laughs> got a bonus. And then this last one, a little bit of underwater archaeology. Off Israel in the Sea of Galilee, they've uh, discovered a structure that they are convinced is man-made. And essentially what it comes down to is a big pile of rocks. They said it weighs an estimated 60,000 tons. It's a human human-made monument which archaeologists are puzzled as to what its purpose is. The structure was originally found in the summer of 2003. It was detected during a sonar survey of the southwest portion of the sea. Divers investigated the location, taking notes on how large the pile of stones was and what the construction pattern was like. Close inspection by scuba divers revealed the structures were made of a basalt boulders up to one meter long with no apparent construction pattern. Boulders have natural faces with no signs of cutting or chiseling. Similarly, we didn't find any signs of arrangement or walls that delineate the structure. More than likely, the massive human construction pile of stones is a cairn, which the pile of stones used to mark Stone Age burial sites. The rocks were hauled to the site over land and placed near the Sea of Galilee. Eventually, the water rose and submerged the structure. Researchers are trying to find associated artifacts to determine the structure's date and purpose. However, scientists do not uh, do have some theories about when it was built. Researchers at the Israeli Antiquity Authority believe that the structure dates back more than 4,000 years. The more logical possibilities, it belongs to 3rd millennium B.C. because there are other megalithic phenomena from that time that are found close by. That makes you think of UFO stuff, doesn't it? I wasn't thinking UFO, but uh, I guess you could go there. Well, if you check your little address thing here on your actually which really looks like an alienati, Got a nice X-ray of it. That leads yeah. into something else to talk about if you want later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, actually, I'm out doing a little research. And it's like not getting any freaking diving in. And uh, two items. I was flying the other day, last week, and that's my first experience a submerged object traveling faster than I was. Really? Yeah. It, it took me maybe. 20 seconds before I realized, like, what the hell am I, you know, because I, I wasn't sure what I was looking at. And by the time I, and I had the camera, but 20 seconds is all I had of it. And wow. I still have not clue what it was. Quite interesting. So you were in a plane, you're looking yeah. down at the water, and you well, can see. I'd like to do my, my, you know, my scans after the winter for junk that the uh, ice is trapped and yeah. dug up. And that's often I have some large timbers at one year at the side of a hall. So I always like to keep my eyes open. And I had just come back from 
uh, over at Pawpaw and cut in, which is between Palisades and uh, well, down from South Haven. And I just was coming across, <clears throat> had another aircraft out in front of me that was going down the coastline, so I wasn't paying attention to the water. I was watching the airplane. He got past me, so I turned to go parallel to shore and looked down, and there's a, a, I won't say circular object, I will say a circular blob of, I couldn't give it really good definition. The clarity of the water was probably 30 feet. So she was out quarter mile to almost half mile. And all I could see is that, and, and I'm looking at this thinking, is that my shadow? Except the sun is in my face, so the shadow is behind me. I have my first eye, and I thought, is that a school? And about that time, I'm, I'm realizing that, well, it's going in the same direction I am, and I'm not catching it. So I sort of went in the dive to increase my speed, and I wasn't catching it. <laughs> and I had to do a few other little gyrations, so, so I could, you know, I can't stare at the, at the water all the time. <laughs> so I was in there, so I had to take my eyes away from outside and look inside for a minute, look back up, and I could not re- relocate that object. Huh. So I have not a clue what that was other than I know it was not in shadow. Yeah, because that, that would be my my first guess if somebody had said the story would be it's somehow a reflection or a shadow of the, of, of your plane. I, and I thought it was perhaps the show of the aircraft in front of me, but by the time I'm still tracking it, that aircraft is in you know on shore halfway to Berrien Springs. Hmm. So it wasn't that either. The reason I thought that was interesting is I was at the bank the other day, the third, and they have those coffee books, and I was waiting, so I picked that up and started going through it, and it was on, uh, I've got it written down, I don't have my notes in front of me, but on unusual things in Michigan. And the one that caught my eye was, with pictures, a lake in Michigan that I will be going to this summer, and the item was, this family has habitually seen and chased fiery orbs across the frozen lake at this location. The item that was in question and had a picture of three of the guys from the, you know, the UFO clinic that goes around and does the investigations. Uh They were actually called out on this one. And what they had seen was a very bright light under the water, under the ice under the water. And the next day there is a 40-foot circle, very nice circle under where the light was. And I, I find that very fascinating. That is. I have got to go there and look at that place. Well, we have to, because if, if there was anything down there on the bottom... I want to scan that bottom so bad. Well, there, you know that. I mean, we've been in, in lakes where, you know, you put a, your knee in the bottom 30 feet out, and you can go back three years later, and there's still that indentation. Yeah. The, the bottom doesn't change that quickly. Right. Well, did oh. you take a look at that, that little skeleton I just sent you? Uh-oh. Let me see here. I'll take a look. Oh, no. <laughs> it's an interesting. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Yeah, you tell me about it. It's interesting. But yeah, no, that my experience a couple of weeks ago, plus then coming up on that one article about what we're going to be going to, is uh, it's, it's sort of, but that, that actually is pretty interesting. Uh, it really, really is. Yeah, and that, that's the type of stuff that it gives you something a little bit extra to go looking for. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, everybody's going to wonder what the hell we're going to need to get, make sure they have that link we're looking at. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got to like UFOs. Yeah, well, no. And, and by the way, if you remember that presentation I put on, uh, it's the Michigan Triangle. Uh-huh. 
that object that I was looking at would have been right there in that triangle, by the way. Another side note. Uh-huh. Now, Mac, on that same website that you, you sent that last link on, yeah, and and we're really going off here. We're we're going from underwater to outer space. Uh, well, first, we're we're going to inner space. That's under where we're going to live. There's <laughs> a more reported undersea craft of unknown origin. There have been lately of extraterrestrial, you know, on the surface type. What do you yeah. think about that? I mean, you know that. That's, that's neat stuff. Well, this this link I just pasted to you is a first test for the fusion powered spacecraft propulsion. And I was not aware that we were anywhere near close to having any sort of fusion technology that worked. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've been using ion drives for years. Yeah, but Most the, ion, yeah, the ion drives, I, I understand, but the, this was a fusion, a fusion reactor, not not a fission reactor, a fusion. And they actually think that they're within the next 30, 90 days, they're going to have tested this. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, I know they're eventually going to work out the details, but I kind of figured it would be incremental steps. So I don't know if there's maybe something with it being in space that they think will make it better. Because right now they're talking about they're testing the individual components, but because of the lightweight of the of the source material they would use in the fusion, they'll get a lot more uh, power. But they're saying they'll be able to get from the Earth to Mars in about 90 days with this type of configuration. It's interesting how. Some of the items people project in fiction turn out to be actually very close to being the truth 100 years later. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, even if you don't know how everything works or how it would be done, and, and even, you know, like you talk about plasmas and stuff that we'd have talked about in and Star Trek. And the heavier stuff, which for, for just as the moon is setting in the West, perfect timing, the moon illusion. For just as the moon is setting in the West, Perfect timing for the moon illusion. So the moon setting in the west, is that code for something? I don't know, but that yours or mine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was Yeah. Sorry about getting on a tangent, but I thought that was interesting. When you get items discovered under the water, like that one that looked like the Millennium Falcon a couple of months ago we were talking about. Remember? Yes. So, I mean, it all goes together. Exploration under the waters. It's all about searching for things that we don't know. Yep, yep. Well, that does it for the news and everything somewhat news-related. <laughs> so has anybody gotten wet yet? <laughs> well, I have actually, not. Actually, Mr. James almost got the other day, and he said it's still chilly, even though in his dry suit he was very toasty. Yeah, well, that's good. So, so at least some. I remember to get out there. I did get some gear repaired this week. Didn't realize I had a high pressure hose leaking, so I got that replaced. And I also had a inflator hose leaking. That was the source of the bubbles behind me, anyway. Oh, I thought you were just like marking a trail. Well, yeah, that too. You knew where I was at. Oh, just all those bubbles. Yeah, just. But it kept out of my air consumption a lot. Yeah, it handicap us. Which does bring us to the question, though, is who do we know is going to Gilboa this weekend? That's the meet and greet. So this is the Great Lakes Wrecking Crew meet and greet at Gilboa. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. I'm I'm not this weekend. I am not either, and I know we have snow planned for tomorrow. <laughs> oh, we got snow? Really? Yeah, that was in the forecast. Oh, I, I was having a feeling that we were getting into some warm weather. It was kind yeah. of balmy on Monday. Yeah, I agree Monday. What the hell after that, though? 
Oh, gosh. We're, but we've got to be getting close. Uh, we're going to turn the corner, and it's going to be great. I know the trees are starting to flesh out. We've got to yell a little Yeah, I, I bet the uh, river was good this last weekend because we had been quite a long spell without any rain or snow or precipitation, so it should have been pretty clear. Yeah, up until yesterday and today. Today, yeah. Yeah, the little creek there by work was uh, brown and muddy. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I need to get my tanks topped off and everything ready in, in the car because I'm yeah, we're we're getting to where it's any day. Well, I got all my gear out this week. That was my my item this week is uh, make my primary jump or dive box, secondary, my tools. I'm getting there. Yeah, I mean, I I'm still like I could dive tomorrow, but just there's been so much time that's gone by that I know things are out of place, and mentally I don't know where they all are, and that always throws me off. So it's going to take a good two or three dives for me to get to where I feel good about everything all being laid out. That's why I like checklists. Even during the summer after you got your bearings, have a checklist for your gear and then for your protocol for getting in the water. I mean, it's that simple one we've been practicing about making sure you breathe on your regulator three times before you get in the water, looking at your gauge. Well, I want, you always make the mistakes when you've been doing it the most. Yep. That's when you forget to turn your air on and you jump in or... Yeah, you, you get all geared up and you're about ready to step in and you don't have a weight belt on or your weight's in your BC. Right. And, and even if you're driving solo like we do, you're usually in a group when you're getting in the water, so it's always good to watch out for your fellow diver. Yeah. They're looking out for you. You know, like, did you really want to do that with your suit inflator unhooked? Oh, yeah, I forgot that one. How, many, how, how often have we done that? You hook up maybe your BC, but you forget your suit or you get your suit, don't do your BC? Yeah, I've I've uh, done the inflator thing at least more than once. And depending on, sometimes you can get it to connect back in. Other times you got to do a little bit more effort. Yeah. But I am, I am so ready to be getting back in the water, beyond ready. Everybody in the show is laughing. It, it, years from now when people listen to these last eight episodes, they'll be saying, what were you guys doing? <laughs> I'm going to look for spaceships underwater myself. Yeah. Just like to come across a couple of meteorites that I could sell. Yeah. Well, after this show, remind me I got to tell you about the uh, the engine my dad is working on. Oh, at the training place? Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. Okay. So uh, yeah, it's it's not public announcement, so I can't put it on the show yet, but uh, definitely interesting. Oh. Okay. Well, uh, and oh, just before we 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 got disconnected. Uh, MSRA has a new website. I did not know that. Yep, they just launched it. Still working through some of the pre-launch bugs, but uh, they've got some uh, nice elements on there. Also, uh, because one of the things that Valerie and Craig and a few of the others there will do is they've they have done some museum exhibits. So they've taken and done screenshots of those or photos of those exhibits, and they put them on the website. So like kind of a virtual museum tour. Is she still working with them? Because I know that she sort of divorced herself from that when she kicked out on her own. She has her own business. Um, I mean, she's still listed on there, so I, I think so. I mean, let me see. Uh, I'll give everybody the website. MSRA. Oh, gosh, you got to be careful on Google what you what MSRA. So MichiganShipwrecks.com. Okay, there's a .org, too. It's not that one. Or, or .org. Is it? Oh, okay. Oh wait, that's a different. Is that a different one? 
Yeah. No. Okay. They they also changed their name, didn't they? Their Michigan well, Shipwreck I, Research Association instead of Associates. Yeah. Of course, down below it says Copyright uh, Shipwreck Research Associates. So, but yeah, yeah, new websites. So hopefully they'll get some of the dead links fixed because there's a few times I clicked on stuff and it didn't work. But what's up there is nice. Yeah, that's nice. And they've added so even some of the shipwrecks that we know well, it's worth taking a look at their posting they've got on there because they've added. Uh, some additional photos. So that is new. And then they've got their, uh, I think, was it next uh, next month? Or is it yet yeah, this month they've got their show coming up? Oh, yeah, April 20th. That's this weekend. Oh, is theirs this weekend as well? Yeah, the 2013 show at the Knickerbocker, downtown Holland o'clock, mm-hmm. Saturday, April 20th. Okay. Oh, yeah, right here. Uh, you want to make sure, just don't show up for that and they think you're going to get tickets at the door. If you are going to be in the area, check to make sure that tickets are available and order them in advance, which they, they do have a way of doing that from the website. So, yeah, Knickerbocker Theater, 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Let's see, what's the topics this year? Topless on the Beach, Farewell Kiwatin, Taking New York by Storm, Through the Surf and Storm, and the Great Storm of, it's hard to read what that is, 1813. So... Uh, tickets are twelve fifteen advance, and if you are lucky enough to get some at the door, they're fifteen dollars. So it should be interesting. What's that, Mac? They've changed their shipwreck map. Yeah, they. Yeah, I, I did notice that that changed a little bit. Yeah, I'll have to come back here and pay a little more attention to it. Yeah, yeah, I just happened to stumble on it. I can't remember if uh, if Rich or somebody had posted that they had made some changes, Craig Rich. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I mean they 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 made a change. Using using some of the same software that we were. Yeah, they've got the uh, our schooner on there. They've got schooner parentheses the farmer question mark. Yeah, yeah, they're they're already naming it. So, still not 100% convinced that's what it is. Well, they put the Baltimore barge on there too. Which which barge is that? That's the one off the Cook plant. Oh, they they've got that one listed. Well, they have that listed. Now, I'm not sure if that's the deep one and 120 foot, because I don't even think they went shallow enough to get the one in 70. That's got to be the 120 foot one off plant to the right. Yeah. They've got the Ann Arbor number five in the wrong position. <laughs> no, they don't. Let's take that back. They've got Baltimore Barge in two places. Well, uh, do they have that? Uh, did they list the barge and crane maybe as the Baltimore Barge? I don't know. They might have. I'll, I'm going to look through this. Because I think, I'm trying to remember, if you come in, if you kind of draw a line between Ann Arbor 5 and the South Haven Pier, uh, the that barge is should be right in line. I'm not on their website right now, so I can't see what you're seeing. No, I think they've got the Ann Arbor in the wrong place because Ann Arbor is not north of us. I mean, north of Benton Harbor. It's north of uh, Holland. It's up in by Holland. Mm-hmm. And they've got it down below the Rockaway, so the the replacement of the Ann Arbor and the barge are wrong. Yeah, that that would be. So maybe he just needs to. He he probably hasn't. Well, I don't know if because I I don't know who does the maps, but uh, they they maybe just need some adjustment. They do have GPS coordinates yeah. for many of their items. There are a few that haven't been posted on yet. So uh, yeah, because they got the Hennepin straight out from uh, South Haven. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I like what they've done with the map, but I would really like to have those as live maps on a Google map. Yeah. So that might be something to do is to take some of those GPS coordinates that we've got that are verified and 
overlay them on a map. Well, some of the really nice ones are a lot deeper than we're going to be, are a lot di- deeper than I'm going to be diving as I get a little older. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know you mean. I'm not. I I have to do some technical training, which probably the way funds are this year isn't going to be happening. Uh, still still working for the dry suit. Yeah. Um, but you can follow us on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Uh, also on Scoop It, uh, you can check us out at accessscuba.com forward slash scuba obsessed and the scuba obsessed Twitter account. And there's I'm usually posting articles, if not every day, uh, several times throughout the week. Need some videos. If you come across good videos, I've I've had a few suggestions and don't take it personally if I don't take the suggestions, but I want them to actually be good or unique videos. Uh, there's a few that were suggested that I just, eh, they, they, they weren't the best, so they didn't, they didn't quite make it, but I certainly still appreciate it when people do that. And then, uh, White Star's opened, so. Yep. So we're, we're, we're in the dive season now, just the weather's holding us back more than anything, but it's definitely there. And maybe I'll get, uh, Jim Kleeman out and we'll start working on that boat. He's not got something else planned. I think the next time we have a meeting, more people will have gotten wet. I hope so. Well, isn't that this week? Is yes. that a meeting? Well, coming week, yes. The newsletter is out. It's on site. Yep. Email should have been out. Hard copies are out. Yep, 16th. 16th. So before the next show, we'll have, we'll have had our, our meeting. And I think I can make this one, hopefully, yeah. unless something happens. I do have my boss coming into town, so that could throw things all out of whack. Did you oh. talk to Mr. Rick Kling? No. Meaning any funds gone his way? <laughs> no, no. I, uh, I'll, I'll have to bring him at the, the next meeting. Uh, yeah. Put a little fork in Jim and see if he's still going to rejoin. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll make him rejoin. He don't have much of a choice. Yeah, shame him. I'm not against that. Okay, well, I think we're to that time of the show. I can hardly wait. <laughs> A scuba diver and his wife were sitting in the living room discussing a living will. Just so you know, I never want to live like a vegetable state dependent on some machine for fluids in a bottle. If that ever happens, just pull the plug, said the diver. His wife gets up, unplugs the TV, and threw out all his beer. That's not going to get a boo because that sounds a lot (laughs) closer to some people's life than others. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully I don't resemble that too often. There's a few days where I, I go to bed and think, oh, wow, what the heck did I do? So, and if that's what you're thinking, get out, get your gear serviced and get out and do some diving. So until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Well, we lost Jim. I wonder if his hotel internet finally conked out on him. I don't know. I still see him on my line, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, then I yeah, I see him now. Another a note to lost connection. Let's try him back again. That's so busy. Maybe he's calling home. So, what were you going to tell me about the uh, engine? Oh yeah. Well, here, let me kill this 
chat room. <laughs> 